When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be to help you become a master of the mental game and to help you start dominating the day. This is Brian Kane, your peak performance mental conditioning coach, and today we're here with Steve Smith, head baseball coach at Baylor University in the 2012 Big 12 Baseball Coach of the Year and uh, coach of the Baylor Bears that won the 2012 Big 12 Conference Championship. Coach, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today and talk a little mental conditioning. Could you uh, give the listeners, you know, your background kind of in the game of baseball uh, from when you played, then into professional baseball, and then all the way to where you are today as the head baseball coach at Baylor? I grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, played college baseball. Started out at a Division two school playing both football and baseball, and I transferred to Baylor and just played baseball. Got drafted in 1983 by the Giants uh, in the fifth round and went out and played four years a professional baseball. Uh, when that was over, I came back, finished my undergraduate degree at Baylor. I uh, got my first job coaching in college baseball as a graduate assistant at Texas A&M, 1988 and 89. And after two years there and completing my master's degree, I was hired at Mississippi State, uh, which was quite a uh, quite a, an occurrence for me having grown up in Mississippi and I spent five years there with Coach Polk uh, and then uh, am now uh, in my 19th year here at Baylor as the head coach. So you know obviously you haven't had a chance to be a grad assistant at A&M which is one of the top programs and and then at Mississippi State and having seen kind of baseball at that highest level and early in your coaching days could you talk a little bit about the importance for the young coaches listening to this to finding a mentor a guy like a Ron Polk or a guy like you're now have done for many assistants here at Baylor and just that importance of of getting into a quality family tree per se in coaching and, and the role of a mentor well, it's, it's a good question and, and incredibly valid. Uh, one of the things that I observed uh, when, you know, when I was just still playing, I at some point, uh, you know, I, I realized what I wanted to do long term was coach. Um, I never anticipated uh, being where I am today or being a head coach at the college level. I just, I just anticipated coaching. Uh, and one of the first people that I that I got to know uh, was really when I was a player. I was a senior in high school, and I met Mark Johnson. He was an assistant for uh, at Mississippi State for for Ron Polk. And you know, as a as a kid, I dreamed of going there to play. So I developed a relationship with uh, with Coach Johnson. That ultimately, uh, I guess, from the time I met him when I was eighteen. To the time I, he hired me, I was 25. So, you know, I, I really could trace 
everything that's happened to me as a coach back to my senior year in high school and an initial meeting with Mark Johnson when he spoke at a clinic. Um, I, I admired him greatly, uh, and I knew his tree, uh, if you will. I mean, uh, Coach Johnson had worked for Jerry Kendall uh, at the University of Arizona and then for Ron Polk at Mississippi State. And, and I, I remember thinking back then, you know, how incredible that must have been. And I never in a million years did I think that I would one day have worked for only two men, Mark Johnson and Ron Polk. And I, I you know, I have since gotten to know uh, Coach Kendall quite well. And uh, so I, I feel like I've been touched by so many people through uh, through both uh, Coach Johnson and uh, and Coach Polk. And you know, it's uh, it's a blessing. I feel incredibly blessed to uh, have worked for both those men. You know, one of the things that I have seen just being around the game is that coaches like yourself and guys like Mark Johnson and Ron Polk, they're always very open to high school coaches or other coaches from other schools coming in and observing at practice and kind of just showing them, you know, lifting the hood up on the car and saying, hey, here's our engine and how we run our program. Come on in and learn from us. And I think a lot of high school coaches out there or, you know, college coaches who maybe want to go observe another program and learn are sometimes apprehensive to do that. Have you found that yourself or other top college coaches are, are open to allowing people to come in to kind of see what they do and learn? Well, I think that the you know when I look at, at at Ron Polk and Mark Johnson, you know I do not consider them to be my peers in any way. I I think they are, as you put it, mentors, and and in a lot of ways. And I don't want to make them sound too antique, but you know they were they're ambassadors. They're I don't I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say founders, but but they're ambassadors for college baseball, and so. And both of them, uh, you know, and I think I think many men of their era, uh, many of the coaches of their era, are as you describe. They're humble. Uh, they didn't get in it for the money. They didn't make a lot of money doing it. They got in it for the love of the game and the love of kids and and wanting to wanting to coach and wanting to help people, you know, reach their their fullest potential as a player and enjoy the dream of playing college baseball and so there's there's not been you know this pride of ownership or competitiveness that got so um you know so tough that they weren't ever willing to share or or willing to you know let people come in and 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 then the other thing is I think that that all of them they have under no illusion that they know it all uh I think that uh some of the some of the the greatest coaches i think anywhere are at the high school level and uh and i i mean i would even go so far as to say even at the youth level i i've had the opportunity watching my two boys now uh as they've kind of come out of little league and gone through youth league type stuff i mean i have sat and watched practices uh under their coaches and have come back and implemented some things that i've seen done when they were 14 years old uh, and that's that's kind of I think the the way Mark Johnson and Ron Polk were, and many other men of their era, is that they didn't they didn't claim to know everything, and so they'd share what they knew, and then they hoped that uh, you'd share what you knew with them. So I think the message is loud and clear for that the coaches out there don't 
be bashful and don't be hesitant to go ask other coaches and programs that you want to go observe and learn from to go in there for a couple of days and take a look at what's going on. A lot of coaches are open to, to sharing that. Uh, if we can kind of shift gears here a little bit, Coach, and go back to 2012, you know, Baylor had, uh, as a university, maybe the most successful run of a year for a university that there ever has been in college athletics. And Baylor baseball was a big part of that, setting a record for consecutive wins in the Big 12, winning the Big 12, ultimately being a number four national seed and being one game away from going to the College World Series. Can we go back and talk a little bit about 2012 and kind of give your story about that team and maybe from a mental game perspective, what you guys did that you thought was beneficial? Well, I think that, you know, to tell the 2012 story, you got to know how 2011 ended. Uh, 2011, uh, we were in the the championship game of the regional tournament uh, held, hosted at Rice. We're actually playing the Cal Bears. Uh, We are the home team, excuse me, we're the visiting team uh, in this final championship game. we have, I think it was a three-run lead in the bottom of the ninth. Cal comes to the plate. Uh, the long story short is we kick a ball at second, we uh, misplay a rundown, and we hang a slider uh, and give up a four spot in the bottom of the ninth, and Cal has a walk-off win. Uh, we went into that game knowing that if we were to win that game because of what had happened in the other regional that we were paired with, that we would host a super regional and that we would be hosting Dallas Baptist uh, to go for the right to go to Omaha in the College World Series. So, you know, our guys, uh, they knew, uh, you know, they really knew what was before them and the opportunity that was before them. And, you know, we would played so well in that game. Uh, you know, we, we really had, we, on a number of different fronts, uh, we had just played well. And to have it just sort of, you know, cumulative meltdown in the, in the ninth inning of that game was, was easily the most painful loss that I've, I've seen a team here have to live with. Uh, it wasn't just one person, it was, it was several, uh, and it was extremely painful. So they, they carried that. They carried that pain with them through the summer. Uh, our, our coaching staff did as well. And when we came back together in, in August uh, of 2011, uh, uh, you know, our motivation level, the motivation level of the team uh, was, was very high. Uh, this was clearly a team that had not forgotten what had happened. We had the vast majority of the players back. Uh, you know, we had only lost, you know, three or four guys. So I think that was the stage. Uh, and, you know, they, the, the players were incredibly pliable. They were very open, uh, to not just being coached, you know, on the physical game, but, but honestly open to, you know, to learning, uh, the mental game and growing in it. We had been trying. I mean, all of us as coaches, uh, have have understood for a long time how important the mental game is in game of baseball. Uh, you know, teaching it and implementing it and and being effective in doing that, that's a whole nother issue. And and I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I I not to not to help you sell more books, but I, I think 
you know, what you've done, uh, not just with our players. Obviously, there's there's been a big impact there, but it, it's clearly been an, as, as big an impact with me and with our other coaches. I, I really feel like that uh, following the 2011 you know, meltdown at that in that final game, uh, and and us partnering really early in the fall of 2011 and throughout the spring of 2012. Um, you know, you, you've really helped me formulate a game plan uh, of how to, you know, how to help players learn to play the game one pitch at a time, which ultimately is what every coach who's ever coached it wants to do. And and one of the things I, I really think, you know, that uh, that has happened, I I think that there are so many more, uh, there's so much more competing for the interest and the passion uh, for players today than there's ever been, uh, and I'm sure that there was more competing for the players of my era than there were for those before me, and so I think the 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 ability to play one pitch at a time, I think it grows more difficult and more challenging with every era and every generation of player. And that's why I think that the whole concept of, you know, mental conditioning and sports psychology, if you will, I, I think it's it's an emerging, you know, ever emerging idea and, and science that probably wasn't very well received two generations ago and maybe not even needed as much uh, because, you know, I think men were more focused that at, at that period of time. There weren't, you know, the, 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 it was just a game. I mean, it was, it was nothing but a game. I mean, uh, you know, that generation, those generations in the early 1900s and through the mid 1900s, they their perspective on life was pretty darn healthy. I think they they went through two world wars and and a depression, and so baseball was a game. Uh, now the players of today and, and even my generation, you know, we haven't we haven't had to endure those things, and so our perspective is is not as healthy. And and I think it affects us. You know, I think we deal with with fear. At a level that's that's uh, exaggerated, uh, it's not even real. What is to be afraid of playing the game of baseball? Uh, you know, if we ever had to endure a war, we would we would know that there's nothing to fear in the game of baseball. But you know, we haven't. You know, I think I think this generation of player, as well as mine, uh, we've been we've been blessed. We you know some would call it spoiled. Uh, you know, maybe it's across all of society, you know, that, that you could, you could find it anywhere. But I, I really think that's why, uh, that coaches, uh, have to do more than just coach. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember when I first became a head coach and we, we were working together as a staff and I would tell my guys, uh, don't bring me a head case. <laughs> don't bring me a high maintenance player. Uh, and I said it rather, you know, rather strongly and almost boastfully. I, you know, I'm not going to deal with that. And, and you know, uh, at some point, you know, I realized that even if you're, even if you're, 
intentional in trying to avoid certain profiles of players, you're you're you know, we're all high maintenance. We're we're all uh you know uh you know in need uh, of uh of the of the training and the ability to focus uh in a way that the players of years ago I don't think probably were and so I, I guess what I eventually did is I wound up saying, you know what, uh, they're my guys. You know, once they're here, uh, I've got to I've got to learn how to adjust and I've got to learn how to help them where they are because they're not just going to always be like me. Um, and I think that that opened the door to where we are now. Uh, that team last year of 2012 embraced the 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 mental game and embrace the challenge of playing the game one pitch at a time as well as any team I've been around and I and I think it was amazing we weren't super talented I think we were more talented maybe than I gave us credit for or, or many others did too but um, I, that wasn't really what set us apart what set us apart was uh, a commitment uh, to the mental game and and I and I've come to believe that the 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 test of playing the game one one pitch at a time is a great test of someone's character. And uh, if you've got high-character kids, then you've got a great chance of playing the game one pitch at a time. You, know, you mentioned that previous generations that had to go through war and, and some you know trials and tribulations, they had a, maybe a better perspective than some of the people do today. Uh, one of the things that I found that you do that is fascinating is you've done perspective posters. Can you talk a little bit about the perspective poster? Well, uh, it's your brainchild. Uh you know, perspective posters uh, are, you know, everyone's unique and, and, and everyone's perspective and how, you know, how they are affected by things they read, things they see, uh, you know, is all different. What what might motivate me or move me or touch me uh, is, is a, it's a pretty personal thing. And it may not be, and it won't be the same thing that that touches someone else. So, you know, a, pers- a perspective poster is really just something to help keep you grounded. You know, uh, you know, during the 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 roller coaster ride that most baseball seasons involve. You know, er- every team, I think, regardless of how successful they are they're going to go through a valley. They're going to go through some ups and downs. And, you know, the whole idea, I think, to, to keeping your highs low and your lows high is maintaining perspective, you know, realizing nothing is ever as bad as you think it is, nor is anything ever as good as you think it is. And, you know, what can you put, uh, you know, what can you pick up around you and, 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 and put on a poster that helps remind you of that? Uh, I think that's an individual thing, but there's certainly a lot of a lot of things out there that you could look to to do that. You know, not only did you do the perspective posters, you also had you know vision boards that guys would walk by and and how you broke the team up into groups and created those. Could you talk a little bit about you know the vision board and maybe the process in which Baylor had the players put those together? You know, very similar process. Uh, you're, you're asking. Uh, you're asking a little bit of a different question. Um, you know, a perspective uh, perspective poster is is really, uh, you know, a, a question of, uh, you know, so what? 
you know, it's just not as bad as we think it is or it's not as good as we think it is. A, a vision a vision board or a vision poster is is probably more more motivated to get you to the finish line. Um, you know, what is it? What what is it? What it really? Why do you really play the game? Uh, you know, you got to ask yourself those kinds of questions when you're putting together a vision board. Uh, you know, are you really? I mean, even if you're a, even if you're a super talented player, are you really playing the game just for money? I mean, is that what you put on your vision board? Is just dollar signs, uh, and that's that's what you're doing it for. You know, I, I think there are people like that, and I and certainly the the amounts of money that can be made today in the game of baseball, uh, I really think have have motivated and uh, uh, you know uh, kind of made it difficult or more challenging for players of this generation to really know if they love the game or not. You know, I, I think uh, even the the way that college baseball has has grown all across the country with the facilities and with the opportunities and with television and, and all of the things that, that, you know, we didn't really have even, even in my generation, you know, I, I question sometimes if, you know, the reasons why kids play the game. Um, and I think parents, uh, I think it's an important question that parents have to deal with even of themselves. You know, why do they want their their sons to play the game and uh but the the vision po the vision board vision poster is, is sort of uh a personal answer to that question you know why why do i play the game what am i hoping to get out of this uh what is what is it deep down you know that that motivates me to play the game of baseball you know one one thing that you had last year uh, the notice on, on the road with you guys at Oklahoma were the signs of success that you would hang in the dugout and also how you would kind of have a message that you would share with the team before the game. Could you talk a little bit about the signs that you'd put in there and also the message and kind of how that was a part of your pregame process from a mental conditioning standpoint? You know, and again, uh, you know, all of this is, is things that, that you have helped me see the value in. Um, and, and there are other folks out there that, you know that are adding to me too. Uh, none of this is is original from me at all. But you know, a a a, a sign of success, um, you know, is is something that that it's almost like a vocabulary. Uh, you know, there's the there's there's just a a a vocabulary that those that are pursuing uh, growing mentally. You know, in the game and uh, and being able to play the game one pitch at a time, I think there's a there's a vocabulary that that they all they all tend to adopt, and it it can become more personal. I think for each team, I'm not saying every every team is exactly the same, but um, the signs of success that I would hang up they would vary from day to day. I might uh, one day uh, have one hanging up that said "We over me." Uh, I might have one hanging up one day, uh, and I put them in some interesting places too. Uh, uh, you know what was it? Uh, pleasure over pressure, you know, kind of things. Uh, you know, one pitch warrior. Um, just a number of of different things that would, 
you know, and they would, I think they'd probably send a different message to, to each guy, but it all brings us back to the same place, which is really to try to, to, to be present, to be in the, in the moment and to play the game one pitch at a time where you're, you're not looking, uh, you know, behind and you're not looking ahead. You know, it's your, your, your the, the focus is on this pitch. Um, and, and even, you know, beyond just those signs of success, I, I think that there's a vocabulary that, uh, that occurs in the dugout, you know, d- you know, during the game. One of, one of the things that, that you've, you've really helped me with is, um, is how to motivate guys that aren't, aren't really getting to play. Uh, and, and one of the, one of the things that's really difficult and different about coaching baseball as opposed to for sure football and basketball is, is we don't have free substitution. And so you, you don't get to run a guy out there for a couple of plays or, you know, a possession or anything like that. Uh, you know, you, you write nine guys up on a lineup and that's who gets to play. And, you know, you try to get people at bats, you try to get people, you know, playing time, but you know what? If you if you if you think you've got a lead and you you start clearing your bench, you know, there's no clock either. And so you you got to get the last out and you know, there have been times when when I have done that and boy, you know, you you it almost backfires on you cuz you get your horses out of the game and you know, you run into something that you can't keep, you know, you lose a game. I've actually lost a game here at Baylor where we were leading by eight runs with two outs in the ninth inning. Uh, so, you know, you have that happen a few times to you as a coach, and you get pretty gun-shy about making a lot of changes. But even that vocabulary uh, and giving giving those players that are uh, that are in the dugout a role, you know, giving them value, helping them understand that they can make a difference and and they can influence the game, you know, from the dugout. Uh, and so we've got signs up uh, that remind them of that as well. Excellent. Last couple questions for you here, Coach. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, routines from a hitting and pitching standpoint and just the importance of, you know, the deep breath and having to release when they get in red lights and for the player to be kind of aware of, their signal lights and if they're in green they get they distrust the routine and go and if they're red they kind of use that release could you talk a little bit about the routine and also just the awareness that goes with that of where they're at mentally well i think the awareness is is maybe the one of the biggest things that all of us uh (laughs) you know we have to all know what our buttons are i mean those of us who are married know uh know what our buttons are for sure and you know the the application of processes and routines. It, it's it's really really effective in in baseball, but I think it's really effective in life uh, as well, and in a lot of other relationships. But um, you know, there's not a lot in the game that you can control. Uh, it's it's, and I think it's one as a coach. There's almost nothing you can control. I mean I, that is. Again, to kind of compare it to our counterparts in football and basketball, you know, we don't get to decide at the end of the game who gets the ball. We don't get to decide who takes the last shot. Um, you know, we can't 
uh, we can't hold the ball and run the clock out. I mean, there's just there's so many things that we cannot control in baseball. And it's one of the most frustrating things for someone like me, who is more Type A and really would like to have control. I, I've looked back on my life as a player, and it's clear to me now why I love pitching so much. Uh, you know, because I had the ball. And you know what? If I gave up the home run, I, I wasn't happy about it. But I could deal with that a lot more than I could you, you know, pulling away from the fence and not making a catch. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, the whole the whole issue of control is one of the great life lessons that um, that the game of baseball teaches us about. Uh, so the 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 implementation of routines. Uh, it gives the player a bridge. It gives the player uh, something he can control. Uh, it gives him the the way to get from, uh, you know, uh, what he's rehearsing mentally uh, into, at the end of the day, what he's got to do, is, which is either deliver a pitch, hit a ball, or field a ball, or throw a ball. I mean, that's, you know, you can't, you can't, that has to come naturally. That that has to be um, as innate to a player as walking. Uh, you know, you can't you can't have to think about a lot of those things. The game's not designed that way. Uh, although there's a lot of thinking in it. Once the game is on, once the ball is hit, it now it now has to turn into a game of action. And you know, I think routines uh, give players something they can control. Um, I've looked at golf. I've, I've often thought there was a lot of similarities between between golf and baseball. And when you watch those professional golfers, you know, with thousands of people gathered around them on a tee box and, you know, millions watching on TV, I thought, how in the world do those guys, you know, deal with that? But if you watch them, they've got routines. They, they, they have got – they. it's just incredible – what they do the same every single time. It don't matter if it was a two foot putt or a twenty foot putt. Uh, they have their process. They have their routine, and so that's where their focus is. And if your focus is on a routine, then it's not on anything else. And there are so many other things out there in today's world that are trying to get your focus. Uh, you know, many many things that go on, and so. I think that's the real value in the routine. It, it's not a it's not a placebo. It's not a, a magic potion, uh, but it 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 keeps the mind quiet and it keeps the mind from being a hurdle that someone has to overcome. There's enough difficult things in the game as it is. You know, you want to at first be able to get out of your own way, and I really think that's what routines allow players to do. You know, one of the things that I think you've done so beautifully here is created core covenants and core values for your program. Could you talk about that process and, and what the core covenants and what it means to be a part of Baylor baseball? Thank you for the question. Uh, you know, uh, I've been here now going on 19 years, and I, I those things that we call our core values uh, have sort of evolved over time. Um, I remember when I first got here, uh, I, I think I probably brought a lot of the, uh, the philosophical leanings of my dad, um, you know, things I had heard him say when I was growing up. My dad, by the way, never coached, 
anything, and he never played baseball. He was a fast-pitch softball guy growing up on a dairy farm, and he was a soil conservationist. So I didn't have a coach for dad uh, in that regard. I do think I had a mental skills coach for dad. Uh, looking back on it, I think he, he gave me some things, uh, you know, that really did serve me well uh, when I was playing. When I came here, I, I remember clearly, you know, what I told our guys, put first things first, uh, do whatever it takes, and make no excuses. And, you know, the core, those core values were, were really putting first things first was about having your priorities in order. Uh, uh, doing whatever it takes spoke to the issue of commitment. Making no uh, excuses spoke to the issue of responsibility and accountability. And I still think that is a, an outstanding uh, representation of what we try to do here. Uh, and that was that's where it started for me. Put first things first, do whatever it takes, and make no excuses. Uh, I think that philosophy or that, uh, that counsel serves us well in a lot of places. As time went on, uh, I, remember, I, I remember clearly at the end of several years, uh, as I would sit down and, 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 and look and see how we did and compare it to other teams, it was clear to me that there were, there were teams that, that might have been less talented uh, that, that the issue of moving forward, the issue of success at this level of Division One baseball, it had less to do with talent and more to do with something else. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly what that something else was. I, I suspected I knew what it was. And when I first started down this road thinking about it, I thought it had to do with competence, you know, talent. You know, you had to have talent. You know, the, if I ask myself the question, what do you have to have to win a championship? I thought it took talent and it took character. Um, and I define those as the ability to win and the will to win. Uh, so at, at the, you know, at some point in the evolution here, I, I had two, two core values that I at least uh, felt like drove our program. And one was competence and one was character. Um, somewhere around 2000. Seven, eight, nine. Uh, you know, I got to the place where I thought there's there's something else, you know, that's important here, and and it it all revolved around the word fit. You know, I think we all, you know, no matter what kind of work we're in, uh, we we've seen talented people whose character was impeccable who just didn't fit. If whether it was the company. You know the the university, the team, whatever it was, it just it just wasn't a good fit, and that's when I started to think about culture and what what was what were we looking for? What person fit here? What type of player historically really succeeded at Baylor? You know what kind of player really succeeded here, not just on the field, but in the classroom, and and I define that culture. It jumped out at me when I when I started thinking about it. There were two aspects of our culture that that defined us, whether we liked it or not. Uh, one was humility, and the other was confidence. And, and I got to, I, when I first started thinking about it, I, I thought, you know, those seem to be, you know, a little at odds with each other. You know, how is one to be, you know, 
a culture of humility and at the same time a culture of confidence. And, you know, and it didn't take long. And I think most coaches and, and most people will quickly find, you know, realize, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, the, I think the great players are the ones that they they believe that they can be successful at any given moment against any given opponent. But I also believe the great players believe that they can they can be beaten at any time by any opponent. They're 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 they have a healthy they have a healthy view of themselves. They have a healthy view of the gifts that the, God gave them that you know they have no real claim over. They they are blessed and and so there's a humility that comes with that that's also highly motivating. You know some of the best pitchers that I've ever had were were the ones that that I won't call them scared, but they had a real healthy fear of getting beat. And they never took anybody lightly. They never they never took a hitter, no matter what his average was, no matter who he played for, no matter what he looked like. If he had a bat in his hands, he could beat you. And and I think that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, uh, a player, a program that has a real sense of confidence that it can be successful, but it also has a real sense of humility, uh, you know, that, it won't be easy, and we have to prepare, and we have to be ready. We have to we have to put ourselves in position to be successful. So, for me, our core values eventually evolved into those three things: it was competence, character, and then culture. And, you know, by competence, you know, I, I think there's two things that that players have to be uh, competent in. One's the the skills, you know, the ability. They have to have the ability to play the game, but that's not that hard to find, you know. In this country, you can find kids that can run, hit, and throw, and catch it. But the second component of of confidence is awareness. That one's harder to find uh, because by awareness, that's a pretty big that's a pretty big umbrella. I, I mean it. I mean it in the sense of, of being how do you play the game? It's one thing to to be able to to throw the ball, but where do you throw it? Uh, you know, what's going on in the game? How aware are you of the game? Uh, do you understand the game? And, and I think more and more of our players, you know, they spend a lot of their time with an individual instructor, a personal trainer, a dietitian, and they're all working on making themselves into the best athlete they can be. But there's more to it than just, just the ability aspects of it. You have to be aware. You have to understand how to play the game. And in the context of what we're talking about, the mental game, self-awareness is huge. It is. It is. The guys have to understand themselves. What are what are their strengths and weaknesses? What are those red lights? You know, and those green lights. They have to understand. You know, and be aware of. You know, what pushes them one way or the other. You know, one of the things that that's in this sport of baseball that I don't think is true in football, which is the other sport I have the most experience in, you know, we we have a, a broad uh, spectrum of personality in the game of baseball. You know, you know, we have some type A, some you know, some high energy, high motor, super intense people, but then we also have, you know, that real laid back you know, almost shy, timid guy 
who's not any less talented, you know, you yell at that guy and, and he may crawl under the table. You yell at the other guy and he may run through the wall and neither one of those things are, des- are really the desired outcome. Uh, and for me as a coach, there's a lot of times I wish we played the game of baseball out of a three-point stance so that we could just yell at them all and that would give us the, the result we want. But it doesn't. And so not the players don't have you know don't just have to be the only ones that that understand themselves and are aware of themselves. I got to be able to figure them out too, and that's where you're helping me and and have helped me a great deal because I'm I'm not a psychologist. I never have been. I didn't want to be one, but you know what? If we're a coach in today's world, game on. We've we've that's just part of it now. Well, Coach, I appreciate you sharing that insight into the core values of Baylor baseball and the character and the culture and the competence of the program. And I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us here today and share a lot of insight into your program and your coaching career. And, um, you know, it's it's been very informative for the listeners. And last question, if you could remove the skull cap of anybody listening to this and plant one seed, one thought in their head that would germinate that you think would help them to be successful plant one seed in their head, one last takeaway from Steve Smith, what would that one seed be? I think it would simply be to believe. Um, You know, it would be to believe. Uh, Number one, it would be to believe uh, in uh, a sovereign God who is in control of everything and who gives us great opportunities and great blessings in this life. Uh, to believe that that nothing uh, nothing that happens to us is outside of his control, um, and that uh, and believe that the uh, the desires of of our hearts and the dreams that we have uh, they are there for our good and his glory and our and our pleasure and. Uh, you know, if you've got that kind of if you've got that kind of belief, uh, and you you embrace that into your life, I I don't think that there's really anything that will uh, that you won't be able to do, and that uh, you'll be able to achieve what it is you you believe in. Coach Smith, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. Well done, man. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit briancain.com, that's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com, and sign up for my Monday message, where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. <laughs>